you'll take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 90 that Neil read for us earlier. We are in between a, a couple of series as we have finished up Advent as the light pierced the darkness and then we will go back to the life of David as we finish up in the uh, month of January and then we'll be looking at First uh, and Second Thessalonians. And so we come to a place where as we finish up 2018 and begin to look for 2019, uh, I want us to look at a prayer. And I want us to look at this prayer because I think if we're honest, um, most of us would say that the, the place where we are probably the weakest in our Christian walk is in prayer. And so if that's the situation, then we begin to ask the question of, um, why is that? And does, does that something need to be rectified? Or is it okay that that just remains a weakest place? But I want you to understand that I think this is a big deal. And I think it's a big deal because of Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And I want to hear, want you to hear what is going on here. And it says, And when he had taken the scroll, Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And each one was holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. See, I think it's very important because, again, it's not sermons that are being held in bowls of gold. It's not acts of service that are being found in the bowls of gold. It's not theology that's found in the bowls of gold. It's the prayers of God's people. And they are forever going up and they are pleasing to the Lord. So obviously things that we struggle with are very important to the God of the universe to where he receives our prayers as incense into his nostrils and it makes him very pleased. And so I want us to to be encouraged and maybe to rededicate ourselves, especially in this coming year, of what it means to have a time of prayer. And I picked Psalm 90 specifically because I think we need to be very um, aware of, you can learn prayers from very many people, but here's a prayer of someone that God calls a friend of God. And it's, it's during a time, and I want to set this up, it's during a time where, again, remember, Moses and the people are in the desert, and they're in there for 40 years because they have uh, been in a place where they have um, looked at the promised land, and they said, we can't do this. And God says, all of the older people are going to die in the desert during these next 40 years. This is where Moses is writing this prayer. It's in the midst of affliction. It's in the midst of hardships. It's in the midst of trials that he writes this prayer. And I think it's a prayer for us to learn from. Because I think if we're honest too, we're people who are hurting. People who are struggling of people who are trying to figure out, oh God, how will you use me? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are a people so much like those who were in the desert or were afflicted. We hurt like they hurt. We struggle like they struggle. And yet you teach us to rejoice and to be glad because we serve Jesus the Holy Spirit, and the Heavenly Father. So, Father, help us. Help us. Help us to look more like our Savior today. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at God's prayer, we're going to be looking at it in three different sections. 
We're going to look at God being first. How do we know him? And that's going to be verses verses 1 through 6. We're going to look at how to understand our sin in the midst of who God is, verses 7 through 12. And then also to look at how boldly we can now ask God for prayer in verses 13 through 17. So the first thing he does is he tells us to know God. And what he says is that God is our refuge. Now, when he tells us that he's our refuge, again, the wording here is he's a place of safety. He's a place where we can go and find our sense of belonging. Now, the reality is uh, a lot of times we can love God and we say that we love God and we can feel like we belong into his presence. And people talk about the church big picture. Okay, I belong to the church of Christ. I just don't like God's people. So the reality is is you can't have that. Because if you love God, if you truly love God, then you have to be a part of a local congregation. Because it means to be belonging, it's refuge, it's loving one another. It's to find out how do we minister to one another? How do we begin to encourage one another? How do we call one another to be held and accountable to the things that God wants of us? We are called to be a part of that refuge because God is the refuge. He is a safe place. And a lot of times we start to, to get that mixed up. And, and so what Moses does is he sits there and he prays and he says, I want you to understand, first of all, that God is the eternal creator. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And because he's from everlasting and to everlasting, he has everything in the right perspective. Again, it's that sense when I, when I remind you sometimes of, of thinking of life as that stained glass window, window. But again, the reality is, is that most of us look at the stained glass window right in front of our noses. And so we see jagged pieces of glass. We see brokenness. We see things that are hurtful. But God wants us to step back and to see his perspective. And he says, all those jagged pieces of glass come together and they're forged together to make a beautiful picture. And when you see that beautiful stained glass window and the light shines through it, ah, oh, the brilliance. And so Moses is saying, remember that God is the one who has put together those broken pieces of glasses. He understands because he's from everlasting to everlasting. And he is the all-powerful all creator. And because he is the all-powerful creator, he's putting things into place here. And what he's saying to us in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of the jagged glass that we see, he says, remember to be faithful now. Live faithfully now. Keep breathing, Moses. Keep breathing, Jeff. Keep breathing. Put in your aim. Live faithfully in the midst. Live right here, right now, because God has centered us in this crazy world and he's put us here for a purpose and for a reason. And he says to keep that in perspective. So live faithfully because God is your refuge. He's eternal. He's the creator God. And he's from generation to generation. Again, we have to remind ourselves that there are a cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. How many of us look back to those people? Do you remind, do you remind yourself of the people that were so um, instrumental in, in your fullness of being discipled in Christ? Do you go back and thank them? And again, sometimes we get caught up in, in thinking that sometimes it's, what's the big deal? I'm just a Sunday school teacher. What's the big deal? I'm just a Bible study person. Hey, I'm just an accountability partner. That's a huge deal. 
the faithful cloud of witnesses are a part of our understanding of us growing. And so what happens here is Moses is saying, remember how frail you are. You are dust. You are here for 70, 80 years at the most. Remember that you are frail and you're fragile. And remember, he's writing to people that are in the desert who half of the people, if not more, are going to die. Never to see the promised land. Moses is doing burial after burial after burial after burial. And he's saying life is fragile. So understand that there is the cloud of witnesses that are gone for us. And Jesus is that refuge. Jesus is the one that we find and cling to. We run back to. We find hope in. And he does it from generation to the generations that are coming. Now with that, it should remind us to prepare the next generation. We are called to prepare the next generation. And again, the reality should be that as we go out and disciple our our next generation, that we should want them to leave us in the dust in regards to their Christianity, in regards to their relationship with Jesus Christ. We should yearn for the next generation to get it way better than we did. It's part of the reason why I I have a son that every time that we turn in, um, I pick him up from school or whatever. Dad, can we turn on the Christian rap station? Okay, here we go. And there's songs on there that I'm just like, okay, it's not my favorite, but I listen. And there's some really cool songs on there. You want to hear a cool song? Go look up, Oh Lord. Great song from someone who is a young um, person just starting out in the business. And he's writing, he's saying, hey, here's what's wrong with our world in this generation. Listen up, we got to go back to Jesus Christ. That's a great message. And I want my son to be way further along than I ever was. Part of the reason why I loved youth ministry and did youth ministry was because I didn't get it till I was older. I didn't know what Jesus could do. I didn't know how Jesus could impact my life until I was older. And the people who were even in church when they were teenagers got it way more than I did. This is the next generation. Prep them to be the kingdom. And so Moses sets this up and he says, I want you to know who God is as we come into this prayer. Because when we know who God is, that allows us then to begin to understand our sin. And I want you to understand that he very clearly brings us to this section. And again, it's a hard section. Listen to it. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. And the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. But they are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, if you're honest, this is a hard section. Again, the reality is, is that what's happening here is is Moses is trying to tell us that there's no fear of God. And when there's no fear, again, listen, these are the people who went into the promised land and saw that it was flowing with milk and honey, but saw how big the people were in the fortified cities. And they said, we can't do this. And these are the same people that had just come out of slavery, who had come through the Red Sea, watched 
a river be parted and two plus million people walk through on dry land to see the greatest army of the world be devastated. They saw that. And when they get to the new land, they go, we can't do it. And God goes, you people, do you not understand my greatness and the might and the power that I have? And if God had wiped all of them out at that moment, it would have been okay. But he doesn't. But Moses is saying there's no fear of God because we begin to trust in ourselves and not God. So what we begin to do is we start to say there are obstacles that are too big, God. Big for God. Or we say God's not big enough for this issue. Or we start to say things like we can do this on our own. I can do this. I can fix this. Listen, there used to be a day where you were put to death for blasphemy against God. We live in a day and an age where people don't fear God. They use God's name as a punchline or as a joke. And when there's no fear of God, listen, then the death of Jesus Christ becomes irrelevant. Most of the people living in our day and an age, the death of Jesus Christ does not impact their life at all. And when Jesus does not impact our life, then what happens is we all live for the moment. What's the next Facebook post? What's the next Instagram? What's our next selfie? What's our next thing that's keeping us occupied? And so what happens is when Jesus becomes irrelevant, then the reality is is that we just don't take sin very, uh, we, we don't understand it, we don't take it very seriously, do we? One person used this illustration in regards to sin. He was in the South and he had teenagers that used to um, chew tobacco. And they would sit in the back of the Sunday school class and they would chew tobacco and spit it into a can. So his thing was, is I'm going to give them a lesson that they would understand. So what he did is he brought in the sheets from their uh, bed and it was a big white sheet and he hung it up on the wall and he had it draped all the way to the ground. And he said, now who in here can spit really well? And everybody was just kind of shocked. The girls were kind of shocked that he said the word spit in Sunday school. And the guys were like, did he just say spit? And so they got excited. So they started to pay attention. And they were just like, yeah, we can spit. And he says, well, who's the best spitter? I want them to come forward. And so they were all like, I'm the best spitter. I'm the best spitter. So he gets a group to go up there. And he says, gives them uh, Hershey chocolates. And he said, now I want you to chew these up, but don't swallow. And so they were there chewing him up and everything like that. And he says, now I want you with as greatest of the mightiest, mighty spits that you've ever had. I want you to spit what you have in your mouth. And I want you to spit on the sheet. So there they went. Right under the sheet. And that nasty, deep chocolate stuff hit that sheet and began it to roll down. And everybody in the classroom was just like, disgusting gross and he said stop because you're more offended by that chocolate rolling down a sheet than you are with your own sin nature and how it affects god see the reality is is we don't understand sin nobody not one christian in here let alone if you're not a christian we don't understand how great and big and bad and horrifying sin is we don't get it but jesus does 
every time that we slam another person, every time that we malign someone's character, every time that we cheat on something, every time that we steal something or from someone, every time that we malign someone, Jesus feels it. See, we really don't grasp and understand how big and bad our sin was and is. But Moses wants us to understand that God is not okay with sin. And he's so not okay with that he sent his son to die. To remove that from us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares. Because again, if we don't live in the midst of understanding our sin and how big and great it is, then the reality is we just become cynical people. Ah, just... Another thing in my life, I've had two bad things happen. Well, there's got to be at least one more because bad things happen in three. One more thing, one more bad thing, one more horrible thing, one more become cynical and hard. One pastor says this, and I, and I think this is true. He says, when we figure out that life is not fair, that's one of the greatest things for an evidence of a God. Why? Why does he say that? Why does he think that? Because if we really believe that we're just simply, um, according to Darwin, just simply beings that are, are evolving and creating, one, I would ask the question, if the animals figured out how to make nature um, survive in good uh, means and stuff like that, why did we evolve past that? Why do we think? We're the, you know, we're the only part of creation that messes it up. The only part. And it's our sin nature. That does it. It all goes back to sin. Suffering in this world goes back to sin. Death goes back to sin. Wouldn't you like to to be at this point in your life being able to have everything happen perfectly? The, The grass would grow the exact height that it's supposed to. Every tree would bear the right amount of fruit. You could talk to Adam and Eve still. How cool would that be? I could go see super, super, great, 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 minus a thousand times grandpa today. We don't get that. See, we have to understand that, again, this is a God who loves us. And he loves us so much that he gave Jesus. And he wants us to bring, listen, Moses wants us to get to the point where we're saying, I need Jesus more than anything. I need him. And so what he does is he he shifts here. And he shifts from the perspective of um, the sin and knowing God in the midst of it is saying, because we know God and we know sin, then ask for a heart of wisdom. Look again at verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And then what he does is he goes into five things that he requests. Return, O Lord. So how long are you away from us? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. See, he says in the midst of our sin, listen, we've got to run back to Christ. He's got to be the place. He has to be our refuge. He has to be the place where we run to. Martin Luther said this. He said, a Christian life without prayer is like breathing, living without breathing. It can't happen. There should be a yearning for us to be in God's presence. Because if the, there's people out there that think that the world's a whole lot better than it is. 
But there's others that think God's world out there is far worse than it really is. It's only when we know God and his sovereignty that he's in control of all things that it makes sense. If not, then we just live in agony. And if you're not in agony, then you're too young. Talk to the older people. They'll tell you the struggles and the strife and the troubles. And without Christ, it doesn't make sense. So we learn wisdom. It's learned. It's not automatic. And so what it does is it makes us to start to live each day to the fullest. For God's sake. Not for yours. For God. And so what happens is when we know who God is, when we know our sin, then again it allows us to boldly ask God for great things. Now again, does, did Moses know Jesus? No. But did Moses understand grace? Yes. He understood grace because he set up the sacrificial system. He knew better than anyone how many sheep and lambs and doves and all of that had to be killed for us. He wrote it down. He participated in it. He looked forward to the day where we would have Jesus Christ as that one perfect sacrifice. And so in the midst of grace, this is what uh, Moses goes before God and boldly asks. And I want you to be bold in your prayers. The first thing he says is have pity on us. Now what he's saying is come near to us, O God. It's a plea for God's presence. Have mercy upon me. Please be my presence. Be my life. Because I'm lost without you. And so have pity on us. But then he also says, satisfy us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. It's your loyal love, God, that we rejoice and are glad in. Even in the midst of affliction, you are still the God to be praised. And then what he goes on to say, he says, let us be glad in affliction. And what he's saying is, he says, hey, at least allow the days that we've been in affliction, these 40 years, may we have at least 40 years of being in your presence to praise you and glorify you. We want our children to see your goodness. We want the goodness to be spread. We want people to see, and it's our desire. And again, what happens is, is again, we see gloomy Christians. And I, I'm one more than anybody. I find myself in this all the time. Ooh, ooh. We of all people, does it mean that it makes our affliction any less? No, it doesn't make our affliction any less. But when we look into how God is and who he is and what we look forward to, our days with Christ pale in comparison. This is momentary. And God answers in Christ that desire and this prayer. And he says, I'm going to make your days in Christ in the presence to be in the new heavens and the new earth forever. So your affliction here is so momentary. So don't despair because you've been called for this purpose, to preach the gospel. Right now, right here. So that's the third thing he prays for. And then he says, let us see God's kingdom. Let us see your kingdom be built. Is that your desire to see God's kingdom be built? Is that where your hope is for his kingdom? Or is it your kingdom? Again, the desire should be for looking at our human time in the part of eternity. When we go out and we preach the gospel, that is eternal things. When we pray for one another, that's eternal things. This world can be wiped away. We live in a county, for goodness sakes, that's at sea level. In Hurricane Alley. And just because we put in 150 mile an hour windows in our house does not guarantee that God's not going to wipe it away. If he wants, Florida's gone. 
It's temporary. But that's, for us, isn't the big deal. Who cares if our home is gone? Lord, let us be about eternal things. For the things that don't rust. For the things that can never be destroyed. Those are the things that are the most important. And he says, finally, let our lives be meaningful. May our work endure forever. And the only work that endures is the work that contributes to God's work. That's the boldness of the prayer. God, yes, I'm dealing with the people who are going to die in this desert. But there's a whole generation after them that are going to go into the promised land. That have to fight the battles. That have to turn from the ways of idols. God, be merciful to them. Lord, allow them to be a part of of going out and changing the world for Christ. Let them be a part of changing things forevermore. Because you are a dwelling place. It's in you that we find hope. So how do we do this? Sounds really good, right? Let me just make things very practical for you. Because I know this is an area, again, that a lot of us struggle. So I am a person who likes to see visual things. So I've showed you this one before. And this is prayers for a specific person. One person that I started praying for, and I told him, I'm going to pray, and every time I pray for you and your family, I'm going to put a little marble in here. And this was started last March. Okay, and so in February, when I see him, he gets to get this, and I start over again. But it's a reminder, because every time I see it, if I haven't prayed for him, I'm like, oh boy. But it's also a reminder of the faithfulness of one person, and these are the prayers that are in the golden bowls of Revelation chapter 5. And God has heard every one of these prayers for that person this year. Maybe you're like, that is the ugliest thing I've seen. So if you're artsy, get something else. Make each one of these different colors a different prayer. One for sickness, one for the lost, one for your neighbor, one for each family member. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you look at this and go, well, I would have done it differently. I don't care. Do it differently. Get 16,000 beads if you want. Get a prayer journal if you want. Get your three by five cards out if you want. If you, I even got one for you UCF fans. Look at this. And don't say anything, well, it's smaller. Get the UCF covered. If you want to go to your office and you don't want to be Christian or weird, put paper clips on your desk. Use different colors again to represent what you want. Use different size paper clips. Whatever you do, I don't care. But do it. Do it. Listen, there will be people who will say, well, weren't you upset with how few people were here on these Sundays during the break and stuff like that? I'm not. Because my prayers about Northside are far more important than whatever program I put into place. There are no insignificant people in God's kingdom. You want to see God change Brevard County? Pray. Pray. And pray hard. And pray consistently. Over and over and over and over and over again. Because those 
are the things that matter to God. So as you look to 2019, go out and grab whatever thing's going to work for you. But start and cry out to the only one who can change things. Northside, be bold in 2019. Pray for the change that God's going to do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, allow us this coming year to grasp the reality of who you are, that you are our refuge in the times of trouble and when times are good. You are the God from generation to generation. And so, Lord, we should be diligent to love and prepare those coming behind us. And then, Father, let us understand just how deep our sin goes, to understand just how, hor- how horrible it is. Lord, that it sent Jesus Christ to the cross and that we shouldn't take it lightly. But Lord, thankfully, you didn't leave us there because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who pays for those sins on our behalf. And he takes the pain and he takes the wrath and he takes your justice and he throws our sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. And Father, because we are found in Christ, those who are Christians are found in Christ We come boldly and we ask for you to have pity on us. Lord, that you would allow us to understand your steadfast love early in the morning, Lord. That we would praise you and give you gladness, Lord. That we would understand that you have promised to us so many more days than those days of affliction. And then, Lord, let us lives, our lives here be meaningful. Because we're about building your kingdom, doing your will, establishing your church here in Brevard County the O'Galley area, and even the world. Lord, we know you hear our prayers, and they are pleasing to you. So Lord, please, this 2019, turn the world upside down by this little church, because we're a praying people who lift, who lift our prayers to you from golden bowls, and they're pleasing and glorifying to you. This we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.